Bemi. Welcome to Bemi. Dadje Bayalum. Welcome to Jubagali, now known commonly as Benalong Point. Jubagali, the land where the Sydney Opera House now stands. For tens of thousands of years, this has been a gathering ground for the local people, and this tradition is continued today. Every time you sit, enjoying a performance, talk, or event, you continue the legacy of the original custodians of the land we are on. Warami, Walamabemi, Dajabayalong. Welcome and enjoy the show. Yano. Pretty for an Aboriginal, live at All About Women. It's our first live podcast of Pretty for an Aboriginal that we've ever done, so this is incredibly exciting. Uh, my name's Nikia Louie. I'm Miranda Tapsell. And we're here, as always, to have conversations that this country has difficult talking about. Uh, sex, weight, relationships, dating, and most difficult of all, especially in good old post-colonial Australia... <laughs> Race. <laughs> and joining us is our special friend, our sister girl, Shari Seven. <laughs> I went for a visual gag in a podcast. <laughs> it's not going to pay off. Yeah. <laughs> we practiced that. <laughs> Yay. So, this is Shari's second outing on the show. Mm. That's how much we love her. <laughs> and last time we gave her a pretty fantastic feeling, and we'll do it again. Shari Sevens is an acclaimed stage and screen actor, a proud Bardi Jabba Jabba woman and a Darwin local when she's not in Sydney. And uh, she's also a budding director, which we found out a bit the last time Shari was on the podcast. Uh, welcome to Pretty for an Aboriginal, Shari! Thank you very Yay! much. <laughs> um, okay. So, Beb, can you do us the honours and... Pop the piper. Uh, pop the piper. Pop the Pied Piper. Yes. I'm colonising this space by drinking <laughs> champagne. <laughs> I feel like Oprah. <laughs> okay. So, before we start, mm-hmm. so, Miranda, you're a Larrakia and a TV woman. Yes. And when you do public events like this, we just said our welcome to country. Mm-hmm. We do these because words, ha- words have meaning and they're important. And in a country like Australia, where recently it was just released that... Uh, what was it, 10 of the 12 closing the gap? Goal. Oh. oh. Woo! <laughs> that good. That was the champagne popping yeah. to the listeners who aren't here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, when, when we're in a country where, you know, we're still, you know, Aboriginal people still aren't acknowledged as the traditional custodians of this land officially within this country, where there is no treaty, mm-hmm. it's really important to have things like acknowledgement. And so thank you all for being here and having this conversation with us, the Aboriginal women, drinking champagne on a stage, because I truly believe it's these conversations that can, you know, give us hope for the future. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> 
So you get introduced as Lara Kea or a Tiwi woman. Yes. Yep, I'm... You're Camilla Roy and uh, Torres Strait Islander. That is right. <laughs> <laughs> um, Shari, yeah. is this important to you? Is it important to me yeah. that we introduce ourselves? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, my Bardi Jabba Jabba heritage is, is completely who I am and I've just been having this thought recently because it came up, uh, I was asked by somebody why I don't ever talk about my, my uh, non-Indigenous heritage in interviews or publicly or anything like that. And it is because my dad's family aren't, they just didn't really have much to do with us. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's my mother, like my mother and father both raised me. My father was an amazing man, but his side of the family have kind of fallen by the wayside in the last, you know, decade and a bit for us. Um, and... I'm kind of going, well, they're not there for me. They're not a part of my life celebrating who I am and, and, you know, being a part of my journey. So who do I owe it to? The people, that, the people who've always been there, my community, my family. Um, yeah, so it is important. And I think it's, you know, black fellas, I don't know for you, but I think we all subscribe to this. You've got to know where you've come from to know where you're going. Yeah. Um, and constantly do what you can to maintain ties to your heritage and your history. And it informs everything about who I am physically, psychologically. It's the fibre of my being. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, like, you know, I've, I've had that... I've had this conversation with my dad because um, I said to him, um, do, you, do you think that um, me not acknowledging, like, my Irish and English ancestry means that I don't love you? And he said, well, no, of course not because... Your like the way you walk through your life is very different to the way I walk through mine. So, um, just uh, like even the, he's like I, you're, I'm always gonna be your dad, but you know you're you are you are a young Aboriginal woman, and I'm and I'm so proud of you. And he just the way he looks at my mum is just uh, just so romantic and beautiful. So <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I wonder too, though, it's like a double-edged sword when, when the people grow... Because visibility is so important. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really important. If you can see it, you can be it. And it's yeah. also about changing a narrative, especially in a country like Australia, yeah. where colonisation was all about silencing. And so much yeah. of our political activism and ideology today is all about uh, showcasing voices that have usually been swept aside in yeah. order for advancement. I wonder, though, if you asked a white person to introduce themselves as, hi, I'm Larry and I'm white... <laughs> Why doesn't I ever think of? Um, <laughs> what they would say about that, there's a real fragility there because, yeah. you know, there's strength in visibility. Yeah. But I think sometimes there's also strength in invisibility in making something seem like the norm. Yes. When it's really not the norm mm -hmm. because we ignore the power dynamic, which is what we're going to be talking about a lot today. Yes. Mismaking stories and the vis power of visibility and white. Fragility. Yeah. That's what we're talking about, hey? Yeah. <laughs> I guess essentially we're... And we're also talking about how that um, goes through story, um, of course, with Nakia being a playwright and with the Black Panther coming out and what that means to a lot of people. Um, you know, we're talking about just how shifting the lens, essentially, is... Not necessarily a, a bad thing, but for a long time, I feel like, I can't help but feel, but I, and I'm sure this is the experience for both of you, that 
when the lens, lens is shifted, people go, what does it mean? <laughs> what does it mean to, to see a story through different eyes? And, it's, and I guess we're here to kind of break that down and talk about how exciting that is. Definitely. Now, just a quick PSA before we start. We will be taking questions up on the floor once we kind of finish our conversation and finish the bottle of champagne, so that'll be our timer <laughs> and all that. Um, so once we're done talking, if you have a question, there's two mics to your left and your right just by the exit signs. Um, so you can head up there. Um, and if you're going to get up, go up to the mics and ask us a question, thank you so much. What I'd love is for you to introduce yourself uh, and also talk about your historical roots and your tribal affiliations. So we've all introduced ourselves, so if you get up and ask a question, I'd love for you to tell us who you are and what is your cultural background. Um, you've got at least 45 minutes to work it out, or again, by the time we finish off this bottle of champagne, so <laughs> you'll probably be pretty understanding. Um, very open. Fabricated, <laughs> if you will. Um, and, and it's like a bit of a game show, right? If you don't know, you can uh, maybe dial a friend. The reception's really bad in here, so you might want to go on Facebook and like, message your mum or something, I don't know, your dad or just someone who knows something about you. Um, and ask them. Now, the last time we had Shari on... Yes? You are in the middle of a project, or you just mm. finished a project that you couldn't tell us about. Yeah. And that was coming off a director's attachment with Taika Waititi on Thor yeah. Ragnarok. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's really yeah. Just <laughs> um, take it. I basically directed Thor. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding, of course. Um, yeah, I'm, of course. <laughs> um, yes, I had. I, well, I was under. I, I think it had been a year since I was, had done the attachment, uh, but it was still heavily under wraps, and I'd signed a confidentiality clause that I couldn't talk about anything. Um, yeah. So, but I think you should just talk about like what a big fan you are of his work. Yeah. And yeah. Okay. Like, so, say, well, actually, him and yes, it's a great story. I met Taika, so I I'll try and I'll try and we just quickly really cheers because I really oh, yeah. Want oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> ice in this PS. If you thought we were flash, now we've got ice. Yeah, it's very, very Darwin to put <laughs> ice. Um, so I was in Byron Bay two years ago with Nakia Louie talking about black feminism and black comedy at the, As you uh, yep, at the, at the Blues Fest, um, uh, at the Corroboree Festival, which Rhoda Roberts runs. Where's Rhoda? Only Rhoda will be in here somewhere. There! Hello. <laughs> um, so this is all through you. Uh, I was in Byron Bay and I went for breakfast in Lennox Head with my best friend who was also a, uh, one of my sister girls, she's um, a, uh, a Mapuche Indigenous Chilean woman, and yeah, represent. <laughs> um, she asked me who my favourite director was because I was talking about wanting to move into directing, and I said, she said, who if you could, you know, five year plan. I said to be on set of my first film, um, and she's with my mentor, my dream mentor, and she said, who's that? I said Taika Waititi. She said why, and we had this. 20-minute chat about why I'm obsessed with his work from his short films, his student films, to his feature films and everything. Uh, we finished our coffee and went home, and on the way home, my best friend texted me and said, I just re-watched Boy, oh my God, that movie's so good. We have to become best friends with Taika. I'll give you 20 bucks to make it happen. <laughs> I'll do anything for 20 bucks. Um, and then while she's messaging me, my, my nephew is calling me and he's a um, indigenous, he's, a, he's my Bardi nephew, Bardi Yaru um, man, Cornell, Cornell Ozies, and he's a cinematographer. 
uh, he, unbeknownst to me, he was in Byron Bay at the same time, and he's ringing me, leaving voicemails, and I'm going, I'll call him back in a second, I'm texting. And then I get a text from him saying, Anisha, where are you? I'm in Byron with Taika. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> get here. So we, like, bolted to, from Lennox Head to Byron Bay, got there that night, and then I spent about 20 minutes in the same tent looking at him going, nah, he won't remember me, he won't remember me, he won't remember me. And then he walked up and he was like, oh, Shari, sis, how are you? <laughs> I was like, really good. Uh, <laughs> it happened. Dream it, achieve it. And so everybody was like, you have the power. I was like, Beyonce and a million dollars. That's it. <laughs> That one's still on its... But that night came... Uh, from that night came a conversation uh, and it was Tatiana, my, my um, Mapuche sister girl, who said to him, look, uh, do you have any plans to have attachments on the, on the project? And he said, yes, I do. And she said, well, Sharon, I would love to join you as director's attachments. And he said, absolutely. Um, and from there, the ball started rolling. He was already in talks with Screen Australia to have as many Indigenous interns as he could. Uh, so I think all up there were 10 of us in, you know, set, stunts, production, um, AD unit. Like, it was just amazing that everywhere you kind of... In every department, you knew <laughs> with just sly looks across the, you know, across the room to each other, like, hey, sis, we made it. <laughs> and you made met it. <laughs> <laughs> now, you're like pretty much like a superhero. So the last two Marvel films, mm. um, I'm not a superhero fan, guys. I know, like totally um, treason. <laughs> but yeah. they've been applauded for their use of being a superhero film on top of uh, like a, a study of historical colonial, colonialism. Yeah. So was that intent visible on set? Uh, yeah, just in, in, in regards, like in terms of, you know, you rock up on set and Taika's tent the director's tent, which is the, the most, you know, revered place on set. He's got uh, the, the um, Māori flag and our flag straight up. And he had, then he, had the, he added the rainbow flag as well, I think. Um, like, it just... He, he was very, you know, forward in pronouncing his indigeneity. And they had a uh, welcome to country before... One, a massive welcome to country. They had, I think, you know, there was like 20 people that danced for them and, and you know, so again... His, his whole point was to acknowledge whose land he was on and give opportunities to Indigenous, you know, creatives who wouldn't have those opportunities. Well, actually, who, that was the other thing that came up a lot um, when the internships were announced. There was a lot of negative feedback because people were going, well, these, these are just Aboriginal people getting handouts again. They're just getting given these opportunities. And we were like, no, hold on. We've all worked hard to get where we are. I'm not just, I didn't just walk in off the street and say, oh, I like directing, I like acting, give me a go. You kind of did, babe. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did. No, I walked in off blues. Um, but, you know, like my friend who was in the production office, he's producing, he produced Servant or Slave that was on NITV last year. Like these aren't people who, these weren't people who just sprung up overnight. These are people who've dedicated at least five years, 10 years of their life, 20 years of their life to their craft, to their art, to their profession. And it wasn't just a handout, but that was the, that was the most common feedback that was coming back from it. Um, it was just Taika going, well, how can I use my position of privilege to empower other Indigenous people when I'm on their country? Um, and so it was very noticeable in that way. And there was, there was, yeah. it wasn't lost on me as well that a lot of the time, you know, by the time I turned up, the, the, the set, it was such a well-oiled machine. It was running so smoothly. There were no problems. He was incredible at 
you know, maintaining it. I think it costs $350,000 a day to shoot and his ability to balance that whilst keeping everybody happy on set was amazing. But it wasn't lost on me that at any moment he could turn around and have myself and my nephew there and we would just make, you know, like, oh, white people. Like, he, he'd come <laughs> up and make these jokes and, like, really inappropriate... Like, when he just needed a bit of, a bit of flavour, I guess, a bit of blackness, he'd come back to the tent and we'd just sit there and have a yarn and have a cuppa and, and do what our mob do anywhere in the world. Yeah. Just, it was on a Marvel set that was costing thousands and hundreds of yeah. It's so interesting, though, because if you ever said to anyone, well, you have your job because of colonisation, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, uh, <laughs> How upsetting would that be? I tag you, call me a colonizer. Now, are you more of a superhero fan or a historical hero fan? Um, Look, I was thinking about this because there was a moment in Black Panther which I literally just saw this morning. I came from George Street Event Cinemas to the Opera House. <laughs> oh, I better do some homework. No, but this came... I, I was thinking about this question because there's this great moment in the film where the, um, the Dora General... You know, somebody's put... They're, they're having it... They're getting shot at and she just has this great moment where she says, guns, how primitive. And it reminded me of the moment in Sweet Country where, I don't know if anybody's seen it, and this isn't a spoiler, but there's an, a beautiful... It's one of my favourite shots ever in a film, ever. It's, it's uh, Warwick Fortin's latest film. Yeah. yeah. Um, where uh, the lead character... I can't remember his name in the film. Does anyone know? No. Sam? Sam, yeah, Sam, yeah, yeah. Sam uh, finds Brian Brown half-dead and takes the guns off him he, and just walks away and it's a, just a silent scene, there's nothing said. And that, where I went, oh, that's exactly it. Guns are so primitive. You know, people take all this credit. A lot of idiots on Facebook take credit for colonising this country because their great, 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 great grandparents had guns. Mm. And it, yeah. it just kind of spoke to me and I went, in that moment... If you stripped every, you know, any, any one of the armoury back in, you know, the days of early colonisation, you guys wouldn't have stood a chance. Like, <laughs> um, and that's the... In that Thinly one veiled threat. Hey, I don't stand much of a chance either. Oh, <laughs> um, well, you guys, you. <laughs> but it just kind of... I went... In, in that one second, there was a rewriting of Australian history in my mind and then it was played out again in that moment in Black Panther, which is everything that Wakanda is about, rewriting the history of, you know, colonial Africa. Um, so... Yeah. Knowing that Sweet Country is actually based on Warwick Thornton's great, great uncle's true story, I went, well, that is a historical hero. And Black Panther is a, is a super... Like, I'm in both camps. If they're both working to decolonise our brains and, our, and the spaces and empowering people, you know, oppressed people, marginalised people, then I don't care whether it's, you know, false or true. Give me more. I don't know what your experience has been with a lot of the things you've read about Black Panther, but a lot of... One of the biggest things that people have said is, like, well, you guys are living a very kind of uh, Western life now. Where would you be without that? And yeah. I think you've brought up once, it's like, how do you know? Like, you'll never know yeah. what we could have been. Yeah. And so... Uh, Hypotheticals aren't helpful. Hypotheticals aren't helpful. They're not. And it is... It, sorry, there is... Yeah, there's a... To be very truthful, that I've had this conversation recently again as well where they, somebody said to me, but you wouldn't exist. And I was like, that's okay with me. If my ancestors 
you know, my English ancestors would have been fine. They were, they had enough of, you know, the British British Empire's got enough colonies around the world to survive. But the idea that if colonisation hadn't happened and I wouldn't be here, that is just the tiniest drop in the ocean of what my ancestors, what knowledge we've lost. Yeah. What what knowledge is is still here, but you know, not um, that's hidden or. or untapped at the moment or yeah. has been forgotten, stolen, not yeah. forgotten, stolen. Um, I would gladly give my life, I guess, and not in a noble, what, you know, but I just think it's not, it's, just, it's, it's a hypothetical, but it's still, it's not something that scares me, the idea that I wouldn't exist if colonisation didn't happen. Like, yeah, straw man argument, though, isn't it? Yeah. Like, it's this idea of, it's like, well, you, you, you wouldn't exist. <laughs> you, well, you wouldn't have the internet. Yeah. Like, well, no. <laughs> no, cunt, we might have invented <laughs> Travel parallel universes, for, like it's taking so weird. credit for iPhones. White men in like you know Western Sydney taking credit for the iPhones. You're like, you have like, nothing to do with that. Go, <laughs> go home, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> now we're talking about this feeling of like what you've like planned for, and I have to say, like I did get that feeling once when I was younger, mm. and I know you have too. Mm-hmm. What was your your first superhero love? so to speak, or your first... Oh, my first superhero love. Um, Oh, okay. No, no, I can't tell. I can't tell. I'm embarrassed. Tell us. It was Antonio Banderas. (laughs) 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 You were 18. (laughs) No, I I grew grew up loving, like, Robin Hood and Zorro. Um, um, and what I kind of loved about them was that they were they were they were the underdog. They were clever and they were they realised the inequality in their world and they were saying, well, we need to start giving back to the people that really need it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting, though, like the Spanish occupation. What I loved about Black Panther, mm. um, and I think at this point where we are talking about, I guess, you know, with the new wave of feminism, maybe, mm. is that um, we're starting to talk about things like decolonization yeah. and colonisation. And what I loved about... Black Panther was that they actually used the word colonizer. Yes. And they were like, don't scare me, colonizer. And when they said that in the cinema, everybody just went, ooh. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, it was really interesting, though, because we do have lots of stories within our um, narrative, like uh, we, within our pop culture. We, we have myths. Right, and they are retold and retold again. Yeah. But they're told through this white gaze. So what I'm getting at is, I guess, that we talk about colonisation, but it's only now we're actually saying the words colonisation. Mm-hmm. You know, like Spanish occupation, or you look at something like Pocahontas. Well, yeah, which is an incredibly interesting, yeah. problematic love. Well, yeah, I didn't yeah. realise how problematic the Disney film was <laughs> until I started yeah. reading more about it. Um, the first time I kind of learnt about uh, her real story was this doco that was on TV and I think I was a, you know, I was a teenager at the time and, and I was going, oh, my gosh, like, I loved the Disney film when I was 11. Still love it. But um, I found out that she didn't go to England by her own choice. No. She was stolen. 
and she was brought over there and she didn't fall in love with John Smith. Here I was watching it as an 11-year-old going, oh, my goodness, like, there's, you know, there's love and harmony. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, um, especially, like, having a non-Indigenous dad, I thought, oh, it is possible for us to to work together and, and um, but sadly that's not really the case. And um, also I heard that she was actually really young. She wasn't yeah, the she age was. of the Disney yeah. character. Um, and so when I, found, uh, when I found out her tragic story uh, in this documentary, I just burst into tears and I was like, I was lied to. Well, it was really weird because I remember when I found that out too and it was like here is this one person within this world of... Disney, which, you know, is problematic as it is, you, you love that growing up. It was like the one person that was like, yeah, she's like yeah. Aboriginal like me. Yeah, well, after like, and you know, uh, Sleeping Beauty and Belle and Ariel, it was fi- finally this, this First Nations princess came along and I went, oh, I understand this. Like, Colours of the Wind, yes, girl, I know all of that. <laughs> But that's, you know, like, <laughs> but then all of like, you know, all of a sudden when I find out that actually her her story is actually really violent and horrific, I I just went, oh, this that's that's not how that story should be handled. I don't know. No, no, that makes total sense because it's this idea of white visibility. Yeah. Right? And again, we make white seem like this invisible thing, but it's really only invisible to you if you are white and have that privilege. Mm-hmm. If you're like a I know for me, like, someone's whiteness is very, very visible in my life or yeah. the white supremacy and white values because it's something I have to live every day and I have to articulate my identity in response to that. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't be an Aboriginal woman if it wasn't for colonisation because I wouldn't be calling myself Aboriginal mm-hmm. to anyone but those, but, but those people. That's what I, I think, just going back to, I, I guess, too, like, looking at story and white visibility, it's that... The Pocahontas story was made and created Mm. not to give room to a character like Pocahontas for little girls like us to relate to. Well, probably, so we could go buy dolls or whatever. But I think it was also to make white America feel good, to make post-colonial countries feel great. And I know I internalised that because Pocahontas was the good Indian. Yeah. You know? Like, do you ever feel like you have to be the good Aboriginal? Totally. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have a, you know, a, a leeway though because I don't look like what most people expect an Aboriginal person to look like. Mm. So I can go in and kind of rock the boat a bit because I look white and I'm, you know, palatable to a white audience and I can um, say things that perhaps, I, I, that I won't get judged as harshly for if a, a black or brown person, an Aboriginal person said the same thing, they won't be, you know, they'll be, they might not get let back into that audition room or <laughs> that workshop or that, you know. So it's, um, in a way, in the last few years, I've learned to rebel against being the good Aboriginal person. It's so hard. <laughs> and using my white passing privilege to do what I can to, to um, you know, dismantle the status quo. Do you think Pocahontas, if she could go back in time, you know, when she's like, no, father, don't, yeah. Do you think if she knew what she knew now, she'd be, go back and go like, do it, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> I reckon she was realistically in, in the in the Disney version. Yeah, like in the, in the real. It's terrific what happened to her, and it's really sad that that is one of the only 
Um, I know for myself, until recently, that was the only Native American story that I was ever exposed to mm. in my whole life. And for most of us, probably still is. And that, that in terms of representation over there, there's so... Like, I feel like Aboriginal Australians are... We're Indigenous Australians here. We have more representation on our stages and screens than their mob do in their own country and they own Hollywood. Like, yeah. you know, America is the biggest machine, the biggest media machine in the world, but there is no, you know, very little Indigenous representation and what there is has been fought for so fiercely and it's just not gaining, you know, an audience or... or traction I don't know yeah. and it's it's also not lost on me that you know the original Pocahontas was Disney and Disney now owns Marvel which is Black Panther and they're just going money 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 mm. yeah well this is where it becomes this is my next question I guess is we always talk about change being a matter of democracy which mm. means you have to deal with the majority yeah and I know as an Aboriginal woman you know and as an Aboriginal feminist you know this idea of when do you when do you have to negotiate your experience and, and fit in with in a bigger value system yeah. to create change. You know, for example, do we change the date or do we just abolish Australia Day? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. what where do you give and where do you take? Because yeah. again, democracy, it's a game of numbers. So in terms of, you know, looking at things like poker the, the Pocahontas story, is it a game of negotiation? Is it better to have this this beautiful representation of a young Native American woman, even though it's a story that doesn't actually talk about the realities of colonisation, yeah. but to still have that in a canon, then not have it at all? Like, if we have to give and take yeah. for mainstream success... I, I'm going to... My instinctive response to that is to not have it because I don't... I feel like more people have been exposed to the lie mm. than will ever go out to seek the truth. Like, it didn't come to... The, the truth didn't come to us until we started. And I'm pretty sure probably the only reason we heard about it was because we're Aboriginal in Australia. Yeah. Somebody in our world would have gone, well, you know what? She's Indigenous to her country and how about this? These, these are the facts. Um, but I know people my age still, so 30-something, who saw the film, it was their favourite film, and they still have no idea. They, they don't have any clue about Thanksgiving or, or anything mm. like that. I, so I, my instinctive response is don't give us the lie. Like, keep that... Shit to yourselves. <laughs> or, but also, like, make the effort. Like, yeah. do, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna tell, if you're, if you're so passionate about telling this story, then give it back to <laughs> yeah. the people that know how to tell it, the people that know how to, you know, um, and I mean, that's why it's so exciting that you're going into directing because, yeah. and that you're, that you're doing so great with, with your play at the moment, Black is a New White. It's just important to empower those people and, and, and actually allow them to tell that story so that it's told right. Like, that's, that's my feeling. Like, I don't want to abolish the story completely. I just think it's more yeah. about people but doing their homework, yeah. people researching it properly and allowing the right people to be involved so that the story is told right. Yeah. I think it speaks to the time, though. Like, yeah. mm. Disney since then, you know, like, with Moana, they, try, they did try, they mm. set out to give the story to, you know, um, Pacifica, like, Indigenous Pacifica people. They... And, 
still that was problematic. So I think it, I think Pocahontas is definitely a product of its time. Yeah. It definitely is, yeah. Yeah, like today I think it would be handled completely different. They probably wouldn't do it though because there's no happy ending to her story, which is, you know, heartbreaking. Yeah. But, yeah, well, it's... Yeah, either, you know, anywhere really. Yeah. Like, I don't think Australia's had a happy ending. Oh, God, no. So, the power of the word... Col- oh, sorry, but the power no, of the no. word coloniser. Okay, so one of my favourite bits in Black Panther... Yes. ..is, I think I mentioned this before, she's like, uh, stop surprising me, coloniser. Don't scare me like that, coloniser. Don't scare me like that, coloniser. Which was, like, now I just... I have a, I have a white fiancé. <laughs> it's happened last night, guys. I'm yes! <laughs> I say the story how we propose because it goes into this, right? So we're there. We're, we're <laughs> yes, just yes. Just out here, actually, at the front of the opera house, not backstage. And um, and he he said something like, "The city is ours," <laughs> and I went, "Well, it was mine before you stole it." <laughs> and then he got down on one knee and says, "Well, about that." <laughs> <laughs> He says, my privilege and now your privilege. <laughs> I still don't understand how that conversation led into the proposal. Like, I wish I would have said, like, oh. yes, coloniser. I would just say backstage, let me decolonise you. Like, with my vulva. Um, so. <laughs> The vagina talk. Um, okay, so could we as smart black women jokingly say to a white man, or like white casting agent, white director, could we go up and go step out of my way, coloniser, and I'll show you how it's done? Can we can we joke about the word coloniser? Should we be using the word coloniser more? Um, do you know what I love? In Canada, they um, First Nation, well, you know, Indigenous people in Canada refer to everyone as settlers. If you're not Indigenous to Turtle Island, they call you a settler. And they will happily call someone a settler, their friends, everyone. So for me, it was kind of like, I guess it's a nicer version of it. Like, it just sounds a bit more polite. Um, (laughs) um, And I was kind of going, well, yeah, I wish wish we used... I was trying to make it happen over here, but it was a bit kind of... You know, mean girls fetch. Nothing. No one was. No one was. <laughs> I got on that bandwagon. I liked the, the Facebook. Yeah, you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I liked it. I got you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you reckon? Well, I, I, I feel like I would never get away with it. Um, I feel like it would. It would really upset people. I feel like it's very threatening still. Yeah. Um, and. Like, you, you were talking about the reaction that it got when you were in the cinema. It was the same reaction when I was in the cinema and everyone went, oh, like, it was... People just aren't ready for it yet. And um, one of the... I, I just remember, like, seeing um, an interview as well uh, with Chadwick Boseman and uh, there was an English... There was an Englishman interviewing him and he's like... I just can't believe how many black people were on the screen. <laughs> like he, it just, it just blew his mind. <laughs> and Chadwick was like, "Well, yeah, man. Like, <laughs> that's like my life." <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was. It, I just, and because the way that he said it, even though he didn't say it, his amazement was almost, almost covered his. 
being terrified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There was something scary to this guy. Well, that's that was my impression of it, and I was yeah. like, but this is just this isn't even this is just one film that's beginning to open up the space. Yeah, yeah, totally. And the idea of just call like for that character to call out the guy for who he for mm. who he is essentially. Yeah, it was just honest. I think as well, like, it's about the, you know, um, balance of power. Like, in that scenario, in that context, she's a Wakandan princess in her empire Mm. and he has no power to retaliate at all. Yeah. And, in fact, she's just calling it... Because she's in an uncolonised space, you know, Wakanda's retained... They were completely safe and and, um, stable and free from colonisation. I think that, like, whereas in, in our world... If we said that the power is not in our hands yeah. to, you know, we, we would, you know, gain a reputation, lose jobs or, or risk, um, you know, backfire from that company or that casting or whoever you're saying it to. Yeah. Um, so I think it's different in that way because we mm. don't maintain the power here. I mean, but I will, I'll, I'm going to chuck it around. I'm going to give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> what would you do with someone called you colonised? Um, like, hey, colonised Aborigine. I'm working on it. So back off. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, working now. on decolonising it. What are you doing? And that's not my fault. <laughs> but no, look, I am. I am. Col- I'm absolutely colonised. We're all colonised. We're not. You know, we're 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 all a work in progress to decolonise our brains and our our world and our spaces and our communities and hopefully bring our allies along with us. Um, so I, you know, I wouldn't take offence to it because it, it's it's something that I'm actually yeah that I'm very much definitely working on. It's, yeah. yeah. What about you? If they went um, colonised one. <laughs> uh, well, I think I think it would um, I think it would break my heart oh. a little bit yeah. because I think it depends on how they would say it, mm. but. Because they, like what Shari said, because they do hold the power mm. and because the structure is made to fit um, them and I'm, const- like, we are mm. constantly trying to invite ourselves into that structure and go, hey, open this up for us and how exhausting that is, you know, I would just go, oh, <laughs> oh yep, yeah, forgot, forgot about that while I was... Yeah, just- yeah. Trying to be a queen, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, because yeah. that's the thing I focus yeah. on every day. Going, yes, no, I'm. This is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and why we're we gonna come for her later? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think they pinch them cheeks. I know. <laughs> no, but it's, yeah. I mean, a part of me would be like, what'd you say? Come here. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you think that you can reclaim power and authority over historically violent terms? Because we all differ about this, like the word gin. I use the word gin a lot, so yeah. gin was a derogatory term yeah. um, for the use they used to call Aboriginal women. Um, I grew up, like my nan used to say to me, you're a wild little gin. I yeah. Like, for that gin. No, we, we, no, I think we're all in the same boat, actually, because in Darwin we use it as well. We call each other jindies, gin, boogies, jindaroonies, like it's a whole... <laughs> there's, there's many variations on the term. But it wasn't until I got to New South Wales that I, um, you know, I... It, I think it was Kalisha, actually, your sister, mm. who was like, oh, no, we don't, we don't say that. 
Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm... Maybe Probably I'm was her, but I still say it to her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I... And, you know, but in, in that, I only learnt last year that, you know, even in somewhere in Queensland, there's um, a, a place called Gin's Leap or something, and you just yeah. kind of go, well, what, what's the history about that? Like, you don't even want to think about what happened there. So, in, in that way... But I, I would... I don't say it in front of white people, though, because it's my, you know, it's, it's yeah. our word for our community. Like, yeah. I don't want to let any non-Indigenous person think that they can then, it's okay, or... Well, that's what I always, like, growing up, I wanted to say it. I wanted to call, I wanted to call my cousins and my friends that, but... Um, uh, but my but my mum was like, you if you say it, you're giving non-indigenous people permission to say it, because um, that's the first thing they're going to say. Well, you're saying it. Why can't why can't I say it? It's like the N word for mm. yeah. you know for African Americans and and um and a part of me believes too though that it's it's one of those things of like. People have just got to get used to being able to not be a part of a space that's not theirs. Mm. Yeah. And be okay with it. Yeah. It's a small um, concession for... Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think, I think people have just got to get comfortable with, with contextually, for a non-Indigenous person to say it, it completely changes to as opposed to when we, when we say it. Um, and and for and and it, it and it comes to Black Panther. A lot of people are uncomfortable with a story that doesn't include them. And a part of me is like, well, like, come on, I watch I watch like the whitest things ever. Like I watch Four Weddings and a Funeral. I watch <laughs> Love Actually, and you know, like those those spaces aren't for me. I know I know like uh, like you know I'd watch those and go, well, that's you know, that's for, that's for a different audience. But at the same time, I go, well, no, I can still relate to it or I can still yeah. find something in it. Yeah. But We've had to grow up, you know, recontextualising whiteness in our head as, the, like, as, the, as a human experience. Yeah, That kind exactly. of narrative the always gets through. Yeah, the default, therefore, the whiteness is the norm. It's the human experience. It's like that's what we've had to train ourselves to think. So it's like, well, this is just... That, you know, it's out, it's yeah. mom's turn now to try it, like, take away the black in your brain. Or be proud of it. Be proud of this, na- you know, this fictional nation. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be threatened by them. They're not real. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know. it's, it's like one of my favourite quotes ever is, you mob are lucky that we want equality and not revenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> and that's, I didn't say that. <laughs> I'll, find my, I'll find the Twitter handle for that one. But it's, it's you know, again, small price to pay. Like, mm. Yeah. I think that's a really good point to take questions on. Yes. <laughs> like, yes, people have questions. Um, please make your way to the mic. Let's go over here. Hey, I'm a proud way one woman. Um, I was raised just by my mum, my family. Um, we're very close, as Indigenous families often are. Yeah. Um, my aunties were taken, or four of them were taken during the stolen generation and then found their way back home. But... Uh, I'm studying to be a journalist, and with my pale skin, I've never really suffered racism that my family with, like, darker skin has. And I really want to share the story of my family and my people, and I'm wondering how I can do that without... 
I don't know how to word it properly, but I don't really want to take away from their racism that they've experienced because they they look Indigenous. But I still want to tell my story and my family, my people's story with the pain that I still feel for them without stepping on toes, pretty much. Yeah. Um, does anyone else? I have... I'm a writer too. Mm. So, you know, and I also have fair skin. I mean, I don't, I, I don't think I'm white passing because I'm definitely something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They look at me, they go, well, you're not white, yeah. but Thank I still you. don't know how to... Why is that Asian girl so passionate about Aboriginal things? <laughs> <laughs> I get that. <laughs> um, I think it comes down to your... I mean, colourism is a huge thing, but that's, we have colourism because of colonisation, you know, because of our past and our history, and we, we can't carry that. We have to carry it, but we're not responsible. All we can do is acknowledge it and tell the truth. And that's why I think, you know, we've spent so much time talking today about Black Panther and Pocahontas and myth-making because previously in our narrative, these things have been so limited and we're at such a special time where we're actually able to sit and recognise people's experiences, especially those marginalised and oppressed voices. I think recognise that you have fair skin. And, and there's privileges that, that you, you get from that. I know I do. I can catch a, catch a taxi, mm. you know. I can, um, you know, if I see any of, you know, my fellow black fellas, my fellow black, that's new, my fellow black fellas um, <laughs> fellow getting black searched fellas. by security, security guards, you know, my mum always taught me to go and, like, look at them and, like, get your phone out because they'll think you're white, right? <laughs> and then they'll stop. And that's true, it's, you know, it's yeah. worked. Yeah, but it's, yeah. it's ultimately, too, it's being really transparent with that conversation, I think, with your family and yeah. making sure they're heard. But also, um, one, of the, one of the biggest things that I'm still continuing to learn um, uh, about not only, not only learning from my family but how to be a good ally is basically listening and informing your idea with what you've heard. Um, and it's easier said than done. Like, I'm still, I'm still learning how to do that and um, how to be present with those people and, and, really, and, and really taking on everything and informing yourself from that. But, um, yeah, I think, I, think that's, I think that's the biggest thing. Don't be, scared to, don't be scared to ask questions and don't be scared to take from what you've learned. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. No Thank you. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for being willing to get up and talk about some very sensitive topics and let us all join you. Um, I'm from a very clichéd background of English, Irish, Scottish... Um, so if you want to call me coloniser or perhaps more aptly invader, I'll cop it on the chin. We'll say um, it nicely. <laughs> um, but it's come up quite a lot today, uh, so I'm sorry if I'm bringing up something we've beaten to death a bit, but you've all touched on the fact that, um, you know, some of you maybe look white or get asked why you identify in a certain way. And I remember when I was young, I went to a forum about Indigenous rights and um, there were some members of Indigenous communities there. And in the middle of it, this quite visibly middle-class, uh, middle-aged white woman got up and um, challenged one of the people on the panel about how she identified as Aboriginal but was clearly of some sort of European background and it sort of baffled me that someone would ever be 
put on the spot to justify their, you know, how they identify and their cultural background. Mm. And we've talked about how you can Mm. acknowledge the privilege you get from that, but I was also wondering if you could talk a bit about how that maybe also negatively impacts on your identity within your Indigenous communities and families as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, For me, I didn't know that I wasn't Indigenous enough for people until I left my home uh, because I grew up I grew up in Darwin on Larrakia land and I, I come from a really big family and everybody knows everybody you know when I was in when I was growing up in Darwin it was still like a small town and everybody knew everybody um, and the same for my grandmother and grandfather's country and where my mum you know was comes from a broom everybody knows who we who each other is so there was never a question of my identity from my community because people knew by looking at me whose daughter I was or whose sister or brother. Or, um, so it wasn't until I came to... to the, until I left Darwin and, and specifically first in Western Australia, um, I was questioned a lot by Aboriginal mob who thought I was just another white woman um, and who couldn't understand, you know, who thought I was lying or, or claiming or, or that kind of thing. And so the hurt for me, a lot of the... Sadly, a lot of the times it's come from, um, not a lot, but the, the first few most impactive instances were, were from my own people, um, who I, I wasn't black enough for them. Um, but since then, professionally, I'm not, I'm, I'm kind of confused everybody now because I look white, but I tell everyone I'm black. So, I, you know, casting agents are just like, what do we do with her? <laughs> like, <laughs> where do we put her? Um, do you have so, to like, <laughs> switch a lot? Oh yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. Like I'm change totally, accent, yeah, put time. on your black. Accent. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Your well, I, I, my black sense, like that's, I protect it a lot more now. Yeah. It's not, um, I don't, I because I'm very conscious of, tra- you know, trolling it out for for white audiences as a as a means to for them to feel like I'm black enough. Whereas now I'm like, no, 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 I can speak any way I like and still be who I am. Um, the only, yeah, I, you know, and my biggest thing now is telling a lot of because it, through sapphires was. Uh, Sapphires was the first opportunity that I had as an actor and it was also the first instance where I saw someone... Well, well someone that looked like me on screen because it was me. Um, <laughs> um, but, but that, you know, the idea that I didn't grow up ever seeing a fair-skinned black person on screen or a white-passing person, you know, Aboriginal person on screen um, and now the, the conversations that I have with young Indigenous people going... This sister girl here who just said, I'm, you know, fair-skinned, like, the amount of people that... We have this conversation now that we weren't having, you know, six years ago when Sapphires came out, we weren't having that conversation because we were still seeing black Australia through a white lens. Uh, and it's only in the last 10 years after Samson and... Not, the, you know, the last 10 years because of the decades before that, but Warwick Thornton, Samson and Delilah, the Sapphires, Brand New Day, Redford Now, all these stories, the, the creative control, once it was taken back from white people and the white lens was done away with... Then the stories became more specific and focused, but as with all great writing, the more you know, detailed and, and specific a world is, actually the more universal it becomes. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of... Every, every time I meet a fair-skinned black fellow now, I'm just like, no one, can, no one can define your Aboriginality except you. No one can define your, you know, your indigeneity except you. It's not for a white person to question, it's for your community. It's for you to be responsible to your community. And if my community, my Bharati Jabba Jabba community, 
is still, will, will, you know, I would, basically I'd get flogged if I didn't say I was Aboriginal. <laughs> if I went home to Broome, they'd be like, who do you think you are? <laughs> um, so what's, what's the saying? Um, doesn't matter how much milk you put in coffee, it's still it's coffee. Still coffee. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, we'll quickly take one more question. We're about to go over the clock, but whatever, it's our land. Please. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> um, hi, I'm Amelia. I'm also from, you know, the UK heritage, um, but 10th generation Australian. Um, I was wondering, um, we were talking about Black Panther and it's obviously been a massive commercial success. Um, in Australia, most of our Indigenous stories on TV and such are told by our public broadcasters. Um, not all, but most. Mm. Um, and I was wondering what you think Black Panther... Do you think that, you know, the commercial mainstream industry, entertainment industry in Australia will now start to tell Indigenous stories... Or do you know of any plans? I saw you just shake your heads. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. I, not in this, I don't think Australia's at that stage. I think it will still always be ABC, yep. independent SBS, production companies. Yep. You will not see a black family on Channel 10 anytime soon. I mean, even Offspring, Deborah Malman still to this day always has to have a white parent and you don't see the black parent. We're just... Australian producers just... Basically, it's a bunch of rich old white dudes who kind of just need to die off. I don't know. <laughs> I agree. I do think though. No, no, no. I, I, I do think though. You know, it's, it's a matter of. I think it's, it's a matter of, of getting those people to unfortunately trust you or learning how to like. How do you circumnavigate? I'm not a ship captain. I'm, I'm a writer, so I don't know. if... Circumnavigate, <laughs> whatever you know. Just if, if there's a way to get a, around funding that isn't yes. through those types of, of yeah. media, um, it's hard. Like sometimes I feel like I'm like, oh my, I'm sick of kissing white men's butts to get money for a show. Um, but then on the other hand of it, it's like you create a show. You know, you guys have both been on them, the Sapphire. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what I was going to say. It's not that yeah, the audience... Create an it's, audience. Yeah, yeah, it's the networks and the production companies that don't have faith in the Australian audience and what they're ready for and what they've been... Edu you know, you guys are here. Like, give us more... Give, give everyone more credit than what... You know, they, they, they keep dumbing stuff down for us, which is what the media does, you know, mainstream television often does, but... Um, Australian audiences are ready. Production companies and networks don't have faith in that, I think. And then you, you do, like, Nakia does something like Black is a New White at STC and it's having a return season. It's a smash hit. It's a sellout. It's, it's you know. And Miranda. Miranda's Miranda. Yeah. Double Logie winner. <laughs> yeah. Love child. <laughs> well, but that's, but that's the thing, though. Like, um, what, what, what I truly believe in is for... Not just us to be saying that. Do you know yeah. what I mean? We're constantly, yeah. Yeah. we're constantly saying to people, well, what are you afraid of? Why are you afraid of these stories? Why are you afraid of the lens shifting? And I think it's now time for uh, non-Indigenous producers or pe pe whoever's in the arts, non-Indigenous people in the arts to start challenging that as well, to start backing us and saying, this is, 
This is, a, this is, if you're truly proud of being Australian, then allow first Australians to have their stories. Let's navigate, let's understand ourselves through them. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, that's such an amazing point. And I guess I'll finish on, we'll finish now, hmm. but that's a really good point because I think it also comes down to non-Aboriginal um, white, non, you know, white coloniser, settler. I think it comes down to audiences. I think we're in an age where you can be vocal and visible as an audience and say what you want. And that's been one of the marvellous things about Thor and Black Panther and Atlanta and Insecure and mm. the list goes on on, you know, black comedy is that the yeah. audience has been incredibly vocal and about, about their hunger. And unfortunately, you know, sometimes people who make those big decisions need to really be, you know, demonstrated like, you know, A, B, C, this is what an audience wants. So it kind of is, you know, we have to, you know, hashtag me to it, not to appropriate yeah. the term, but be really visible in our solidarity. So with that, thank you for coming to the first live recording of Pretty for an Aboriginal. You can listen to our first season on iTunes or all good podcast apps. Um, and please go away and just have these conversations about everything that Australia has difficulty talking about. Sex, gender, politics, race. Um, and we hope that this spurs more conversations. Thank you so much for coming today. Thank you. We'll let you go. An Aboriginal is hosted and developed by Nakia Louie and Miranda Tapsell, produced and edited by Nicola Harvey and Cinnamon Nippard from Audiocraft. This is a BuzzFeed Australia production. <laughs>